All right, Raymond, yeah, yeah. we rolling? Hello and welcome to the CS Plus C show. A big shout out to our partners at Betway. Check out betway.co.za for more information. Now, I'm very excited because in the past, in my line of work, when you interview athletes, you tend to have sort of 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If, you, if you're lucky, it's after a training session or it's at an airport arrival or departure. And since 2016, I've had the privilege of interviewing my guest, Janine van Veek, who is an absolute legend of South African women's football, a wonderful ambassador. Um, but every time I interview, it's like three or four minutes. And then when we're cutting it for television, it's maybe 20 seconds. <laughs> so Ray, my executive producer, was working out that it's probably in total about five minutes that we've used of our interviews that we've done out since 2016. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Janine, thanks for coming on. And uh, I hope the coffee's all right. I haven't tasted it yet, but I'm sure it's fine. Okay, because it is early in the morning, so I appreciate your time. Um, let's start off. Uh, I see you back in South Africa, mm -hmm. uh, back with your club. Yeah. Tell us how things are going. I think busy is an understatement. Yeah, definitely a lot busier compared to when I'm, you know, relaxing overseas and just playing <laughs> football and concentrating on my own game. But this is a different world out here in South Africa, having my own football club, JBW. Um, it's it's tough being a businesswoman and a football player um, all in one. Yeah. Um, so trying to balance that lifestyle um, and it's really difficult, not easy. Um, you know, being a businesswoman throughout the day and then in the evening you have to put your football boots on and, you know, give your best and your best efforts um, physically. Yeah. So definitely not easy, but, you know, towards the end of my career, it is worth it, you know, because no one wants to retire and with regrets. So just pushing to give my all the best that I can, continuing to do that. And um, yeah, once I Hang my boots, I will be pleased and happy with the fulfillment of a lengthy journey in a football career. 183 appearances for South Africa, uh, debut back in 2005. That, that is, it's world class. Congratulations. Thanks. I know there's hopefully a few more games. I'm sure there's a few more games uh, under the belt. Yeah, hopefully. I think I need two more caps to break the record of being um, the highest cap player in Africa, male or female, currently only in South Africa where I'm the highest cap player, male or female. So that is a record still to be broken. I'm two caps away from that. Hopefully I'm able to achieve that before I hang my boots. Um, so yeah, conversations need to happen with the head coach, Desrealis, um, <laughs> before I think of hanging my boots. Um, I'm not one to give up easily on, you know, um, my dreams. Absolutely. and. It's something that I feel I need to to accomplish before um, I retire. So it's something that is still hanging out there for me to achieve. And once I do, then, you know, I will put my heart at ease and, um, you know, easily transition into the next phase of um, my career of, you know, not being a football player, yeah. but going into more of a coaching role after that. I, I was about to ask you, I mean, for me, that makes the perfect sense. The first thing, I mean, at the moment, being a player coach with, with your club, being involved, having so many caps, I mean, that, that IP, that knowledge, that experience, it has to go back into to women's football. But before we get to that, let's take it back. If someone had told a young Janine van Veek when she first kicked a football, few years back now, uh, 
More than a few years. <laughs> <laughs> that you were going to represent South Africa on 183 occasions. Would you have believed them or would you have bitten their arm off, basically, if I can put it that way for that? Never in a million years would I have believed that I would first play for a national team because when I first started playing football, you know, women's football was non-existent. Of course, there were a few leagues here and there um, in some areas, certain areas in the country, let alone in the community where I, ca was ca where I came from. Um, so definitely I would have found it hard to believe that I would represent the country and for so many years and have a, a lengthy career representing the national team. So, um, yeah, for me, it was just about in the enjoyment of the game, the passion and the love that I had for the game, still have for the game. And um, I think I would be one of very few in the country or even in the world to say that I would play the game without receiving a cent in my pocket because I love the game so much that money does not matter to me. Um, and of course you need an income and it would be very difficult to sustain a lifestyle without an income, but definitely would have found myself a full-time job, but on the side, play the game for the love of the game. What, yeah. what would that full-time job have been, do you think? I have no clue. Probably something in sports though. Yeah. Um, I really do love physiotherapy. I love sports massage. I love to give players massages. I'm still one that would, you know, offer a massage to my teammates if they feel <laughs> they have heavy uh, legs okay. and I'm the one to step up if the, the physio is not available. So that is something that I enjoy to All do right. and probably go into, you know, you know, sports th therapy or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, when did you know that football was for you? Like, take us back. Because... Everyone, and I, and I ask all the athletes that I speak to, everyone has that like light bulb moments, if I can put it, or that moment where they're like, damn, this is, this is, this is for me. This is, this is the sport for me. I think after I, you know, raised eyebrows when I went into the, the townships um, after playing with the boys and you know still having that hunger and that drive to continue my football because you know when you're a teenager you you reach a certain age and you find other interests you know within yourself regardless if you're a very good footballer or not um, but playing with the boys and then it was almost a stress moment for me to to figure out what's next after the boys because I was told continuously when you reach the age of 14 you can't be playing with the boys anymore and, you know, it, it was a stress factor for me because yeah. I needed to find a team to play with and especially a woman. And Fran Yulton Smith was actually um, the person that rescued me from, from that and put me into or found a contact for me to join um, Springs Home Sweepers in Quatema. And it, although it was a very difficult um, environment to be in, you know, having to transition from playing with boys, being the only girl, to now being the only white girl in a community that, you know, it was unfamiliar for them to find a white person in, in their township yeah. and to play in the league itself. But I think after that and drawing a certain 
amount of people to the to the stadium in Quatema, um, in the into the complex, um, I started, you know, believing more in myself and wanting to give more to the game um, where, you know, people would come up to me and ask for my autograph at age 15, you know, um, just because I was brave enough to go into the community yeah. where, you know, not any white person would go into back then. Um, and for me, it was just, again, following my dreams and following, you know, football and where I could actually just enjoy the game freely and compete every single week. Um, and I think from that point on, I felt like this is for me, this yeah. is my calling and uh, I want to continue and try and get as far as I possibly can. That's um, 15-year-old Janine van Veek playing in in for springs back in the day like i mean w was it like dirt track fields was there grass maybe just sort of take us back how tough it was because the fact that we're in 2023 yeah and we look at where women's football is if we go back to when you started playing like you know there has been progression and we have made giant strides of course, yeah but there was nothing back then, was there? There was nothing back then. I think I remember that the training field that we trained on, it was almost like a felt, so it wasn't actually grass. Um, it wasn't green at all. And, um, you know, you'd find some small little stones in between the grass that you played on. The field markings were made from chalk. It wasn't actually paint. So sometimes it would be the players before the game quickly putting chalk on the on the side <laughs> of the field to make a straight line yeah. and sometimes the lines were a bit <laughs> skewed as well but as long as they were aligned we were good to play <laughs> um and yeah also the nets in the goals you know it, it wouldn't be proper nets it would be you know nets with holes in because you'd have so much traffic on that pitch throughout the week that every single boy child girl child every team you know young old um, would be on that pitch. So by the time we play our football games, it's like half sand, half grass that you play on. Um, and I remember my mom, you know, used to buy me boots almost every two months because, you know, you'd find holes in front of the, 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 by your toes. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, my uncle used to say, you just have to strap it in front. That's how I used to play. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. But these are the kind of facilities that we played on. Yeah. You know, we, we, didn't have change rooms. Sometimes we had to change behind a tree um, just to put our kit on. We had our team talks under a tree. There were no change rooms. Um, I remember this one facility we played on. I'm, I think it was in Soweto that we, we played. And um, it was just gravel ground. It, there was not one single piece of grass on that pitch. And I remember actually I was playing because I wanted to play, but... Um, it was very difficult to play on that pitch. You were slipping all over the place with the boots that you had on. And I slide tackled a girl trying to stop a goal. And I had this big grass bird on the side of my leg. And it put me out for a week out of school because it was so infected. Wow. So I had to see doctors to get the infection away, had medication, everything, just because I made a silly decision to slide tackle on such a pitch. But you wouldn't find that today, you know. Yeah. You wouldn't find that everyone, every single team would now protest because that's not good enough for the standard of women's football and where it's heading um, and so on. But, you know, this is what we grew up with and it just made us stronger athletes. Absolutely, a battle-hardened player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where women's football is now, um, I'm not saying we're 
I mean, we're on the right track, right? But but there's still a lot of work to be done, right? Definitely a lot of work to be done, especially in our country. But a lot of people are saying South Africa is stagnant, the rest of the world's, you know, progressing, which I believe at a very fast pace the, the rest of the world is because in, ter in terms of development, financial stability, uh, sponsorship coming in to invest in women's football, that is something that we lack in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Development, big part. Coaching development, Massive. Yeah. We don't have the proper coaches. We don't have many coaching courses for the coaches to educate themselves, to bring back to their teams, to the players, for individual player development either. Uh, we don't have much grassroots development structures in our in, in our country. You look at the likes of um, the Americans, the Europeans now in UK, in um, England. You know, you have Arsenal ladies that have – from the age of nine, eight, nine, that they have proper structures and a pathway for their for their girls to yeah. progress in, um, and we lack that completely. We just rely on our national team, our senior national team, to do well to and to be the face of women's football and the growth of women's football in our country, and we can't rely on that. And, of course, the success of Banyana Banyana throughout the years, the past couple of years, having qualified for the Olympic Games twice, FIFA Women's World Cup twice, back-to-back, that has set the mark and the standard for women's football in our country. And without the success of the national team, where would women's football be today? Um, and now we are hoping and praying that you know investors come on board companies come on board to actually back and support women's football for a professional league um, because you still find that a lot of teams are struggling a lot of teams still have players um, including myself and within my team where we have girls still balancing a full-time job yeah. and then having to come in you know play in a league week in week out and it's really difficult you can't actually make a career out of playing the sport so there are a lot of things that are lacking in our country and um, things that need to improve for us to continue to close that gap between the rest of between us and the rest of the world um, but I must also emphasize a positive to say that there has been growth since I started playing football yeah. and the women's leagues and the competition has definitely grown throughout the years and although it's been baby baby steps and progressions there has been progressions made you can see you know women actually few players actually earning a decent income yeah. to sustain their lifestyle um, but there are still other teams um, down the bottom in the Hollywood Bets League that are still struggling with facilities, um, proper facilities, yeah. not getting paid a single cent to, to play in the Hollywood Bets League. So it's really difficult to compete with, you know, the teams that are backed and supported mm. by, by their men's teams like Sundowns, mm. like AM Royal, like yeah. TS Galaxy, um, all those teams. So there's still a way to go for women's football in our country. Um, and I suppose that's why if you can get an opportunity to play overseas, it becomes so much more attractive because not only can you earn some decent wages out there, you can also get that experience and be playing against quality. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I look at your career, Houston Dash, you made you made history for South African women's football. I mean, it seems like you've made a lot of history for South <laughs> African women's football along the way, but um, that must have been quite interesting. And I know obviously at that point, it was the unknown, but it was going to America. It was something that I, I'm sure you were very excited about at the time. 
Yeah, definitely. It came in 2017 and um, it was massive for me. It was a massive breakthrough for me in my career because, you know, I was 29 years old when that deal came through. And, um, you know, already people say when you reach age of 26 and you haven't had a, a professional contract or been offered a professional contract, it's never going to happen. Mm. And for me at age 29, when that came through, you know, I was really pleased. I was happy. I was over the moon that, you know, still at that age a club such as Houston Dash back then probably the highest league to play in for yeah. a, a female footballer um, I got that contract so I was very happy and pleased to to have played there and um, I gained a lot of experience playing there it was really <sighs> difficult um, to play in such a league yeah. you know competitive at training competitive in games um I think out of in the 24 games that we played, I managed to play 17 out of 24. Um, so I was happy about yeah. that. But you constantly are kept on your toes. You're being treated like a professional. You come in in the morning, you leave in the afternoon, you know, and you're being treated like a professional athlete. And that is something that the players of a year, like, obviously want to, to get that feeling of being treated like a professional athlete, getting paid like a professional um, player. And um, of course, if they're going to get a contract, for instance, in Belarus, they think it's the same as going to play in the United States. So only to find that that league is probably worse than the Hollywood <laughs> Bets League. Yeah. But it's just that status of yeah. I get to go play overseas and I get to earn a thousand euros a month where I get Nothing here, yeah. even though the league is bad over there compared to the, the competition here. But they pay a thousand euros and they pay nothing here. Exactly. So that is the difference. Um, Vera Powell uh, was involved, if I'm not mistaken, in, in the Houston Dash. But she's also played quite a, a big role in your career. Um, do you, are you still in contact and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. Vera Powell is definitely a, a mentor of mine. We keep in contact um, at least once, twice a month. Um, before the World Cup, wished her well, had a chat to her. Um, and I just love to pick her brain as a coach yeah. um, because I feel like with her mentorship and guidance, it can help me long term in my in my coaching career and where I want to head to towards. Um, I think she's been a phenomenal coach for the South African national team. Um, the way she um, handles and her player management with with each individual, mm -hmm. as well as with the team, um, she is just something that she can't do wrong in my eyes. To be honest, okay. Um, so yeah, it's she's a, a phenomenal mentor and person and yeah. friend, I would say. Um, and um, yeah, she's definitely been that one that that has given me that drive, mm. that extra drive to continue to work hard and achieve what I want to achieve. She's always there backing me, supporting me. Um, even when I didn't make the World Cup squad, she was the first one to reach out, ask how I am mm. um, and how to deal with it. And um, Wow, that's that's amazing. Eh? So, yeah, she's been, you know, always supporting me and I've been supporting her as well. I mean, she's been going through troubles with, um, I don't know if you've seen on social mm. media about the Americans and I try to um, also put a statement out that, mm. you know, to put out that she's not that 
type of coach and yeah. she's not that type of person. Um, and Americans are really difficult to, to handle and deal with. And with Vera coming into South Africa and having her ways of coaching, her coaching style um, and her mythology of what she expects of every player worked in South Africa. It just didn't work in America, yeah. especially with the players that have more of a voice than what the coach has for the club. Um, it was very difficult for her. So to put out false statements about the coach really hurt me because I know yeah. Vera Powell, I know how she operates, and it's just the Americans couldn't deal with that. So it's easy to put out false statements about the coach and slander the coach on social media. So I was the one that put out statements to back her and okay. support her. So, yeah, we are at that point where um, after the World Cup, she had I think she had a really successful run with the Irish national yeah. team. Um, and I spoke to her a week ago and she's willing to come to South Africa um, to come and mentor the JVW coaches um, oh, brilliant. and have a coaching workshop, not only for JVW, but also coaches in South Africa to have a coaches workshop over here to help That's mentor amazing. them. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing her and um, hopefully other coaches can learn from her. That's amazing. Um, because in a lot of people's eyes, she almost like laid the groundwork for Banyana Banyana. And I know uh, Desiree Ellis has, has done a phenomenal job with, with the group that she's got, but um, you are one of those trailblazers. You um, have paved the way for many of the players enjoying that success, playing in some of the best leagues in the world today. But at the same time, when Vera came in, it's almost like Banyana needed structure. They yeah. needed a, a professional approach. And that's all due respect to whoever came before. But it feels like she just laid the groundwork and, and Banyana have been able to build on that since then. Yeah, absolutely. I do believe and many people believe that, you know, Vera came in and laid the groundwork for us um, and had a more structured approach for the national team. And I mean, a lot of players that are currently in the, in the Banyana squad came from the era of of Vera Powell. Yeah. Um, so what the expectations are, what the roles are, what the responsibilities are in your position. And obviously they've grown in their own way uh, with their own different experiences about playing overseas and so on. But as a group of players, you know, the, there's not one camp that I, I went to without us discussing Vera yeah. and what an impact she has had in the women's game in South Africa. So, um, yeah, she's definitely one that we will always remember and um, one that has, you know, set the the tone for the standard of women's football in our country yeah. um, in terms of leagues, in terms of structure, organisation and everything around the national team. I know before the WAFCON that you guys won, you said that winning that tournament was something that was on your bucket list. It was a tick box that you had to get uh, done in your time. Yep. Now you've done it. Mm -hmm. It sounds pretty cool, African champions, right? It does, doesn't it? Sounds, it's got a nice ring to it. I still sleep with my medal. You've got to keep that, Ray, absolutely. <laughs> um, but that, that was like, for me, um, you guys deserve that because... Previously, you'd come so close. Um, but this was like that moment where you actually a watershed moment for me, for, for Banyana Banyana and for a group of um, players who have given their, a large part of their lives for the national team. 
Definitely, I thought I would never achieve that, but it was one last time to, for me to achieve it. And um, it was a bittersweet tournament for me because I didn't get to feature much mm. in the in the tournament. And um, I understood right from the from the beginning that, you know, perhaps maybe not in the plans of a first eleven to go and compete for my country. And um, I came to terms with myself that I'm in the squad and I'm there for a reason. I'm a leader of the team and perhaps maybe not lead the team on the field, but I could always be that leader off the field and from behind. And that's exactly what my mindset changed to. Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, any other player would sit in the corner and sulk yeah. because I'm not playing. I've played my whole career. I've played with the national team. Desiree knew exactly that that would be my last tournament, African Cup of Nations mm -hmm. tournament to feature in my seventh edition. Um, and not playing, you know, any other player would have just hidden in the corner and not said a word. Yeah. And um, for me, it was about stepping up as a leader and supporting every single player that went onto the pitch um, as I would have wanted the support from from my leader if she didn't play um, and yeah it was deep within it was really difficult mm. to to manage because I believe that I should be playing I think any player would believe they should be on the pitch featuring um, for their, their country um, but in the locker room, before the game, in the mornings, prior to the kickoff, after the game, I was the happiest person. Yeah. I was the most supportive person. Um, I remember in the final against Morocco, um, we were 0-0 zero, zero, and Desiree only had a speech of five minutes, probably because there was a lot of pressure. She didn't want to put much into the girls' heads. And um, I thought it would be my moment to step up and, you know, remind the girls that this is the last 45 minutes of this massive tournament. Yeah. So it's went to individuals to try and, you know, give them some motivation. You know, obviously throughout in, in the game, the coach would shout here and there and they would lose some motivation and encouragement that they believe that didn't do well. So it was up to me to kind of uplift them yeah. and uh, went to a few players and did that and, um, you know, just try to be that leader, that supportive, play that supportive role. And, um, yeah, we happened to win it. And I was, again, the happiest on the field um, and as if I had played the game. So, yeah, it's definitely a memory that will stick with me for the rest of my, my life. Um, and... Whether or not I played and featured, it's still a highlight for me, myself, to be able to lift the trophy after so many years Absolutely. Um, and have that gold medal around my neck and finally consider myself an African champion. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, something you've just said now, I, I don't think, I get that you're an extremely competitive person um, and you are sort of in the, the latter stages of your professional career. But I honestly think your new, next chapter is being revealed to you, like like it or not. It's being sort of, and the role that you played in the change room, and you look at other successful teams, there's been people who have the experience, they've got the credibility, they've got the the leadership qualities that have played roles. I mean, and sorry, I'm about to swear. Liverpool, um, 
have done it for many years because they've had leaders within, and there's other successful teams, but I look at a James Milner, for example, yeah. didn't start every game, but you can see the role that he played and the captain's armband went to him when he was on the park. Yeah. Um, and I think like that's kind of probably where you are at this stage, but you have such a vast amount of knowledge and experience to give that you're a calming influence on the dressing room and on the team and on the bench, you know, wherever it may be. So I have no doubt your next chapter and it will be, and I'm putting it down now as a future national coach um, on the show. I'm saying it, you can mark that. It might not be South Africa. No. It might be South Africa. It might yeah. be the Netherlands. It yeah. might be Zambia. I don't know, but I have no doubt that that's where your career is heading because of so much commitment, dedication, love of, for the sport. And I think like, because you now are an African champion, you've been to a World Cup, you've been to an Olympic Games. I mean, that's an impressive CV. You can be very proud of what you've achieved. And, and, and you should like be able to walk into a dressing room and command that respect and have that presence. And I commend you. I think you've had an amazing career and hopefully it's not done just yet. Thank you. No, no, definitely not. Um, and it's, it's, you know, what sticks in the back of my head is all the things that you have just mentioned, you know, people always say that you could have, you know, broken records and um, been the best leader on off the field, but coaching is very different from playing. Mm. And that's what sticks in my head. And that's what draws me to actually put myself out there and learn as much as I can on the coaching side of things. And a lot of people ask me, like, you're going to be the next Banyana coach if Desiree retires or Desiree moves on, Janine is going to step into mm. that role. And I say no, because I feel in myself that I'm not ready for that role. No matter with all the experience and knowledge that I've gained throughout the years, over the years, that is playing experience. Yeah. It's not coaching experience. Exactly. And I wouldn't want to step into a, a senior role and take on that big responsibility yet if I know deep myself that I still have a lot to learn. It's I, I've worked with many coaches in my career and I can say there's many coaches that I was like, I know more than what you know. <laughs> like I could step in easily you and tell take straight over away. your role. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's coaches like Vera Power yeah. where I'm in awe whenever she speaks because every single word that comes out of her mouth is something to learn yeah. from. And um, with coaching badges that I've done. So I just think like every FA, every coaching course has different methods of what you coach. Mm. But – I try and grasp as much information as I can, tactically, technically, how to deal with players, how to deal with mentality, how to deal with the moments of, mm. of football. But it's obviously how I'm going to be, you know, implementing it as myself, as a person yeah. and what I know and how I know. So I think that will take time. Yeah. Um, and definitely if I could, I would probably start with my own football club because I'd be more a lot more comfortable where I am. Um, not to say I want to go the comfortable route, but to gradually get myself ready for that next chapter. Sure. Earning your stripes. I think, you know, even if it means moving at some point into a, a sort of assistant manager role or something along yeah. those lines, I think you're a student of the game and you're always wanting to learn. Um, and I think it's it's quite interesting, like your approach now, because a lot of coaches and, and we've seen across the women's game, like 
um, the English coach, for example, the pressure she's been under and, and what her next move is. Vera, for example, yep. um, you look at the USA, they didn't have a great World Cup, nope. let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about absorbing knowledge, isn't it? It's about applying that knowledge to situations. And I think a key thing is is player management because yep. there's egos, there's all sorts of things. And I suppose by having played 183 times for your country, you kind of get what it takes to make it to that level. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, I'm a, I think I'll be a coach of, I'll be more of a disciplinarian coach. Um, you've got to have the right attitude, right mentality. Yep in order to play football. Like for me, I'm not worried about your talent and what you can give, but if you don't have the heart and the passion and the discipline to give your best every single day, you're probably not gonna be part of my team. Sure. So that's my method and way of of doing it. More like a Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, everyone needs to- He did all right. Everyone needs to be unified in the team. You (laughs) have to have different talents in the group. It's not about the most skillful player. It's not the uh, the player that scores the most goals. It's about who can contribute in what role in order for the team to win. And that's the kind of approach that I'll probably take um, as a coach. But it will be very difficult to find because I think the... The mentality of the next generation of footballers, I kind of feel like they just feel entitled okay. these days. Um, I just I feel like, of course, women is women's football is on the rise, and um, you know, but I just feel the women's teams. You look at the Americans, you look at the the, the Spaniards now. Every little thing that they want, they have to protest in order to to get if they're not happy with the coach let's protest and not play yeah you know so it's not it's not about the coach anymore it's about what the players want sure so whether my method is going to work i don't know so but i have to put myself in an environment where the fa wherever i i may be or the club where i may be need to trust in my my way yeah and um i think i learned that through vera yeah is that if you if you want me, if you want my expertise, if you want me to bring results, then trust the process. Um, it's not about someone else coming in to influence my decision making. So whether I find a team now or maybe in five years, I don't know. But that is the way I'm going to be, you know, yeah. stuck to and what's, what I believe um, would work for me. So then you, I'm putting you, I'm warning you, I'm putting you on the spot right now. You as a coach, I mean, imagine, I'm sure you can understand how Desiree felt when Banyana said they weren't going to play on a substandard surface. Um, And then there was all the disputes around bonuses. As a coach, that puts you in such a tricky position because your plans are how are we going to take on a tough group at the World Cup? You're not thinking about bonuses and playing surfaces. You kind of want to rock up and assume that that's been taken care of, right? I mean, it puts you in a difficult position as a coach. I do believe that, but I also believe that that could have been handled way before the last, the last game, sure. before they left for the World Cup. That could have been handled by leadership, by management and staff, technical staff of the national team it could have been one of the leaders coming in to speak to the staff and management or call a meeting with the president to have discussed that way before the time they had to leave they were in the month 
bef- they were in camp a month before they had to leave. Yeah. So surely they had time within that month to discuss what their bonus structure would be, what is it that they'll get mm. and so on so they can completely fully focus on their next steps. Yeah. So I, I, I felt that the timing was completely wrong. Um, it was a shame that it had to happen that way um, because it should have been a great send-off for, for Banyana Banyana yeah. before they went to the to the World Cup. It um, took the shine off a bit, didn't it? And they did. Yeah. They did take the shine off. And, um, yeah, it was disappointing in a way. Good that the girls stood up for themselves, um, I believe, but it could have been done long before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, um, Banyana did did very well at the World Cup. Let's, let's not uh, kid ourselves, I think. Yeah making it out of the group is a huge achievement. And I think now the bar is set incredibly high for next World Cup because now I know 2027, there's a bid and South yeah. Africa is trying to host it and it'll be yeah. amazing. If I it won't does. be the coach. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right now. <laughs> you never know. You never know in sport, Janine van Weyck. You never know. Um, but I think like where the sport's heading, imagine it's hosted. I mean, 2010 was incredible mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And I think 2027, if we do host, would be pretty special. It would be amazing to have a World Cup here in South Africa. It will just elevate women's football in our country. Um, but, yeah, it's it's four years, and you'd think four years is a long time from now. It's not. It's not. So, you know, I, as a SAFA, I would really have put something in, whether we're going to host or not, I would really have something put something in place. And, of course, Banyana Banyana had – a lot of pressure on their shoulders, having, you know, boycotts a day before they had to leave. They didn't play the send-off game. Uh, it was all about money. The country was like, no, this team is all about money. So they had a lot of pressure yeah. on their shoulders to go out and perform, which they did. Um, but also the African champions, you know, all African teams won a game in the tournament and South Africa were the last to win a game and qualify for the next round. So it was in the mandate that they qualify for the next round yeah. because 2019 we were there, gained the experience. Next World Cup, we need to do better, especially as African champions. And we done that and yeah. very, very proud of the girls for, for doing that and for Desiree to to do to accomplish that, um, but the next World Cup is four years from now. How well are we going to prepare? Be prepared for that. Are we going to be quali- Are we going to qualify for that? There's many girls that are stepping out and coming in. The next generation, new players, younger players coming through, talented players coming through. Um, you know, there's still a question whether Coach Des will be there or not. I mean, it would really be unfair for her to leave a year before, you know, the World Cup because you would that next coach that comes in will only have a year to prepare. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors in place to set us for for that next World Cup. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I think that look, we can harp on about the work that needs to be done, but I think we also need to celebrate yeah. um, how far women's football has come in general. And once again, you're one of those trailblazers. You've paved the way for so many other future Banyana stars. Um I wanted to ask you, I mean, I've seen like throughout your career, like you've been always keen to take on a challenge. Is that something that's been in your sort of DNA, like test yourself, you know, experience new things, take in knowledge? I think it's come from a young age since Mm. starting playing with the boys. Um, I think the challenges start already then because I could have easily given up and 
said to my mom, like, look, it's not for me. I don't yeah. want to be the only girl in the all boys league and boys team feeling isolated every single training session or game um, until I eventually had to prove my worth. Um, so the challenges started from a very young age. And then after the, the, the boys going into uh, a women's league where I was the only wild girl and dealing with different cultures and different backgrounds and learning the language yeah. and trying to fit in and find my place there. So that was another challenge for me. Then it was, um, you know, after that, it was getting into the, the national team and it was a challenge for me to prove my worth in order to to remain in the mm. national team, to be consistent. Um, and that was one of the biggest challenges for me because, you know, your place is never guaranteed in the yeah. national team. And having to be in the national team since 2005 up until today, you know, it just shows consistency and doing the right thing and being disciplined enough and, you know, making a lot of sacrifices, um, challenges of not having a matric today because of football. So there's there were risks that I took in order to get this kind of career. And I wouldn't encourage any other student to do the same because it works out for people different. I yeah. was just, I just count myself very lucky, but also because I followed, I followed the right path. I made a lot of sacrifices. Um, of course, when you're a teenager, you, you know, go out and you have fun and, and so on. And that was limited for me. Yeah. Um, I didn't have many friends because where I grew up, it was, um, you know, Afrikaans-speaking girls, and they didn't understand the football. So I never really <laughs> had friends, you know, outside of, of school where it was just remained in school and that was it. No one really wanted to come and support football. It was all about netball and hockey and athletics, track and field. Um, so I think my entire career is just formed from challenges that I've overcome. Yeah, and um, well done to you got me to where I am. Um, as someone who plays any a defensive role in the team, you've scored a few goals. Do you remember them? Like, yeah. I mean, because according to the internet, the interwebs, it's two against Nigeria. Yeah. That's pretty cool because of the rivalry that yeah. we have. And then I see there's one against Mozambique. Is it the three international goals, right? Yeah. The I, I remember the goals against Nigeria 2010 when we hosted African Cup of Nations was a free kick. They were leading 2-0 and it was a free kick right about 25 yards outside and um, just took a free kick and hit a top corner and it was amazing. It's a worldie. In Davidson, it was it was an extraordinary feeling. People went crazy. Um, we lost the game 2-1, though, yeah. but, you know, scoring against Nigeria. And then in 2012, probably in the most memorable one, um, when we played in the semifinals against uh, Nigeria in African Cup of Nations and um, beating them for the first ever ever time, um, making history by beating Nigeria first first ever and um, I scored that goal was with a left foot everyone saying it was a free kick but it, I remember it so well it was a corner that Villakazi took and it bounced outside the box but um, she passed it back to me because it, it fell to her and um, there was pressure coming towards me to try and block and I just took a blind shot with my left foot and it hit top corner and um, it went in and we won the game. And it was a fantastic feeling putting us into the finals. Yeah, I mean, 1-0 no 
crazy goal. Right. I mean, finishing in style, hey? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't plan it. But I just... <laughs> I'd claim it. <laughs> claim just it. claim it. <laughs> um, so, Janine, uh, looking ahead now, um, as we've got a few more minutes, would you say your international career, you're still hungry for those those two more appearances to try and break that record? Is that something that... I mean, because I know not going to World Cup must have been devastating yeah. for you. Um, but... Having support around you made a big difference too, and having someone like Vera come in and say, "Hey, man, uh, sorry, what's what's happening? How are you feeling?" But there's still that hunger to represent Banyana Banyana. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a big disappointment for me not to go to the to feature in the in the World Cup. Um, but you know, that is football. You you in you out due to injury, uh, due to other factors. Um, but you still carry on. And, of course, it's two caps that I'm away from breaking a record. Yeah. And I don't think it's just for myself that I want to break the record for, but a South African male or female to hold that record. I mean, currently it's an Egyptian. Um, I think I'm, I'm not sure of his name, but he, he has 184 caps at the moment and he's held that record for many years. So to have a South African female to have, hold that record to break that record and to hold it for maybe in the next four or five years to come you never know um would be something extraordinary not for myself but for the association for south africans mm -hmm. and for everyone and i think it's just for me i i have to end off with that record um to celebrate my my journey with the national team i think um looking at i said this is an amazing cv that you've got here i mean uh, Women's African Cup of Nations winners in 2022. Runners up 2008, 12, 18, third place 2006, 10. Yeah. That's why 2022 was so special. Just right? not a gold medal. <laughs> yes. Silver yeah, you bronze, got the collection bronze. now. <laughs> Janine van Veek, thank you so much for coming in. Thank uh, you. You're, I think you're a wonderful person. I think you're an incredible ambassador for South African football. And I think your journey in football is far from over. So good luck for the future and keep up the amazing work. Thank you. I really appreciate your support as always. Thanks for watching and big shout out to our partners at Betway. Remember to like and subscribe. We'll see you next time.